This podcast is dedicated to the memory of David Faraday, Betty Lou Jensen, Darlene Farron, Cecilia Shepard, and Paul Stein, and to Michael Mejot and Brian Hartnell. This is Zodiac Speaking, a classic gunpoint Jamming podcast. I'm your host, Chris Garcia. I'm switching up the order a bit and talking about Richard Gajkowski today, a.k.a. Dick Geik, a.k.a. Dick Geik spelled differently, a.k.a. Dick Geik spelled even more differently. Geik is a fascinating, fascinating suspect, and I see why so many people lately have attached to him. I think even Tom Voigt has said he's his favorite suspect. I don't hold that opinion for a pretty strange reason, actually, because I've known people who knew him. And while we only very briefly touched on it, it does bring some points together. Because what is missing in the story of Dick Geik is the fact that he was a member of the counterculture. That's always brought up. But it's not necessarily brought up what type of member of the counterculture he was. He was tied in to, of course, Good Times, a newspaper in San Francisco, was a counterculture rag, was pretty violent in its stance on publication. Famously, he never sent a letter, Zodiac never sent a letter on a Wednesday, and Wednesday was a production day. I don't think the sample size is large enough for that, but it might be. You never know. But here's where it's interesting. He was also familiar with, if not necessarily a part of, the underground publishing scene. Science fiction fandom he was tangential to, largely because so many fans of science fiction were also in the counterculture publication scene. He was, if not friends with, certainly familiar with, a number of underground comics folk. And in the late 60s in San Francisco, there were a lot of underground artists of all sorts. But the one that becomes interesting, and 100% why I don't think it was him, was the Berkeley occult community which had a lot of folks in San Francisco as well, some of whom were also folks who were associated with folks who would end up being mem members of the Manson family. What San Francisco was on the more or less underground portion was a series of sub-communities that had members in each. You had medievalists at that point, the, the foundation of the Society for Creative Anachronism, didn't just pop out of one woman's birthday party where she wanted to recreate a traditional medieval uh, joust. That wasn't just it. It had actually come out of a group of students who had been studying medieval history and had massive interest in that and in fiction, typically in science fiction, honestly, in fantasy fiction, of course, who some of them formed in Berkeley came together. There were a lot of them in San Francisco and honestly, a lot of them in the city of San Mateo. And we saw this sort of foundation, and people around that were occultists, uh, lots of them. There were lots of occult groups, of course, lots of satanic groups at that point as well, mostly philosophical Satanism instead of uh, theistic Satanism, of course. There was some of that too, though. Geik was in the publishing realm for that. Now, you have a lot of people pointing that his works of fiction that were in 
uh, January 1969 in Good Times were a, one quote I read was a, as early as January 1969, the Good Times newspaper was running violent works of fiction that were nearly a blueprint for Zodiac's future crimes. Not exactly, but I see where they're coming. It's very much the same as the Titanic and the book, I think it's called Titan, or something like that, where it was about the a ship that was considered unsinkable that ended up sinking, blah, blah, blah. There's lots of positional evidence that gets brought up. Things like when Darlene Farron got married and moved to Albany, Geik moved to Albany. Okay. Apparently, he and Darlene Farron's husband worked in the same building, which at once seems, you know, oh, wow, that's a big red flag, except Geik was already writing. And the newspapers that they both worked at were in the same building. Had he gone out and gone to a completely new world, you know, Darling Farron's husband was a welder and he had gone out and got a welding job and it wasn't the only job in town, that would be different. I think that's just a massive coincidence. The Paul Stein coincidences, though, are the ones that I think are what led him to become such a good candidate. Now, Richard Gaikowski's cousin lived on Washington Street, which is where Paul Stein was killed, of course, unless you believe in the whole cherry and the rolling thing, which I kind of do. I think there's a fair bit. But here's where it gets messy. Any idea that Paul Stein was a planned killing loses credibility with me instantly for a bunch of reasons. But people point out that the Good Times switchboard uh, was right next to the residence of Paul Stein. That's That can't be... There was no way Zodiac could have known calling the cab company or hailing the cab that he would be killing Paul Stein. There's no way. It just doesn't make sense. Now, what's interesting is that Nancy Slover, who I consider to be the best suspect as far as identifying aspects of the physicality, or in this case, the voice of Zodiac, identified Dick Gajkowski's voice as being the same as the Zodiac's, which is is telling. And if you look at pictures of Richard Gajkowski, he does kind of fit those descriptions and the drawings, of course. I'm not entirely sure, though. It wasn't until, I think, the 80s that anyone really seriously looked at Gajkowski, and it was because of Darlene Farron's sister. It's an interesting possibility, but the reason he is considered a suspect, you can definitely go from the from the point of view that he wasn't a suspect until Darlene's sister brought it up, which is totally valid. But I think the reason they didn't sort of reject that, as they often do, you have to remember, they were getting hundreds of tips and leads, even into the 90s. Most of them they didn't follow up on seriously, but Gajkowski they did. And the reason for that is that he was publicly out with a pro-violence, anti-police idea. And throughout the Zodiac letters, there is an anti-police, or at least a belief that police are incompetent. He kept, you know, the letter, of course, after the Stein murder is the one that is most sort of anti-police, and, you know, piggies and so forth. He was a radical. And while he didn't have a very big streak of violence, and of actual physical attempting violence. 
And the one thing that Donahoe said about him is that he was the kind who sniveled. It does become more far-fetched. But I understand that if you are presented with someone by a family member as someone to look into, and then you discover, oh, wait, he was a writer at a newspaper that was pro-violence. He had these pieces that were published. I understand why you dig into them. The fact that he lived five miles from the first murder site, notwithstanding, because it's not completely dismissible. But there were a lot of people who did. Did they all get the same attention? Well, not all of them were named by Darling Farron's sister. If you have the opinion that there were two killers, the first two murders and the second two murders, and if Dick Gajkowski did have a thing for Darlene Farron and decided he wanted to kill her, the first one was either a misidentification or even a test run, and the second one was actually to kill Darlene, this has more weight. I don't think it's him. And I don't think the reason they're digging into him so much is, or dug into him, I guess, is that he was a part of the counterculture, and they thought that only a figure who was against the mainstream of society could do crimes like this. And that's absolutely not true. We have so much evidence from Dennis Rader to the Green River Killer, so many people who were deeply ingrained in the regular flow of society who ended up being serial killers. As I dig more and more into Dick Geick, and I'm going to do a second episode, I think, I'm going to talk a lot more about the specifics of how police take pieces of sand and put the lacquer around it to form a pearl, and how often the lacquer can form around nothing, and it ends up misshapen but still taken as a pearl. So I hope you'll stay tuned. <laughs>